Steven Seagal. Yeah. Come on, cut the guy some slack. He's, he's saved the world at least twice. Under know? Siege 1. Under Siege 2. Yeah. He's what we need to sort out North Korea. He's got high-level connections at the CIA. No, he don't. <laughs> Does he? Apparently so, according to Alex Jones. It was a great interview, though, because he said he was going to go after all the paedophiles, basically as a way of deflecting attention from him, you know, assaulting people in hotel rooms. Okay, but, yeah. You know, <laughs> fair play. Let's, go, let's do it. Let's do it. Yeah, on the hierarchy of who's the bigger dirtbag, sex predator where, whose victims are grown women versus sex predator whose victims are which know, was which was which was, a bit, which was leads into a bit of what um Catherine Den- Denuve and Matt Damon and Liam Neeson were sort of saying and they got a bit castigated for saying but they, they were saying you can't equate patting someone on the knee or the bum with full-on rape or yeah. child abuse they're both wrong and should be stamped out yeah Makes you a bit nervous to try it on. For me, it's it's the retrospectiveness. You know, some girl from eight or nine years ago could turn up and say that I had my way with her against her will. Nothing I could do to... How do you prove you didn't? I've said this to you in another podcast where everyone should just film each other having sex on their but phones. But film the consent bit first. Just film the whole the whole act and that way everyone's covered. But it's <laughs> it's it makes sense as well from a legal point of view. Yeah, you've nullified the no eyewitness problem. Yeah. Now everybody saw it. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to 2018 and a new and improved Ill-Informed Insight podcast. Well, actually, that was a lie. It's the same old podcast. We're just back from a long, unscheduled break where it was really cold and I had a chest infection and I didn't quit smoking, so it didn't go away. Today, I'm joined by Tim. Good evening and welcome. Welcome to you, Tim. Welcome to me. (laughs) That's what I say to myself every morning when I wake up. And on today's show, we'll be discussing the hot topics of two weeks ago. Namely, is Donald Trump fit to be president? And kicking us off, it's Brexit again. And should we have a second EU membership referendum? What is for certain is that the Cleggs, the Blairs, the Adonises will never, ever, ever give up. They will go on whinging and whining and moaning all the way through this process. So maybe, just maybe, I'm reaching the point of thinking that we should have a second referendum. On because On, what? on EU membership. Please. I think if we had a second referendum on EU membership, we'd kill it off for a generation. The percentage that would vote to leave next time would be very much bigger than it was last time round. And we I, may just finish the whole thing off and Blair can disappear off to, <laughs> into total obscurity. Well, that was Farage think- on the right stuff. Yeah, I, mean, I think a lot of his natural supporters was, was stunned into a, an immediate silence. Was there an when, audience on that show, yeah? Yeah, live audience, when, 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 they, when they first heard that, because it was the last thing you'd expect to come out mm. of his mouth. But he did clarify those statements later on in the day. He's got his own show on LBC, and he clarified... Yeah, higher ratings for himself, yeah. Yeah, and then, then he clarified what he said. He said he, he doesn't want there to be a second referendum, but he's a realist. And uh, after his meetings with Barnier... And from what he's seen from our own government, he honestly believes that there'll be a collusion to create a, a bad deal or at least an environment where a second referendum will be a logical step. So he's 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 being realistic that there, there will be some sort of second vote, probably. Probably on um, the deal, the Britain-EU trade deal itself. He's mentioned there, he meant a second referendum on EU membership altogether. But, but de facto, that that's what it would be. 
That's what it would be. And he, he, has, yeah. he has a point that if um, his side leave had a much larger result this time, then it would sort of put it to bed for a generation. Question is, would it? five years probably well they say a lot a lot more of the young people might vote this time around but a lot of people who've actually seen the behavior of the eu that might have changed their original leave vote farage said there at the end that yeah leave would win a second referendum by a greater margin how much greater i'm not entirely sure but the last one was 52 48 i think it'd be a larger margin but not like the sort of 60 40 he he probably wants more like 55 45 something like that but i don't know i think leave would actually Remain campaign, I think, learnt from their mistakes of focusing too much on the economic argument and not actually providing any positive arguments for the EU. They'd they'd learn from that mistake. It'd be a different campaign. Oh yeah, and in, in just talking about campaigns, like another thing Farage said later on that day was um, that the Remain campaign has been in full gear since the day of the referendum result, yeah, and it's Clegg-er. and it's a very well organised and also very well funded as With opposed our taxpayer money yeah, as <laughs> as opposed to the sort of leave side which sort of fragmented the day yes, after uh, the result it's aaron banks basically is all yeah, his but, money but it all sort of just dispersed didn't it the day after they got the result there, there's no yeah, like it wasn't a political party Farage stepped down from whatever position he was he in. was frozen out and um so that there's, there's been no sort of figurehead no one to really lead it apart from Theresa may who is david a, davis who is maybe? at heart a heap remainer david davis i think she kind of appointed david davis to be that guy the figurehead yeah yeah but <laughs> More on David He's Davis in a second. I don't. I don't. I'm not sure. Leave would win by a bigger margin because, like, I, if if the hypothetical second referendum on EU membership itself comes around, I wouldn't participate in it on the principle that David Cameron said in the first one there isn't going to be a second referendum. It's like I don't want to go down that road. And it's like I know the Tories are saying no, they've ruled it out. There isn't going to be one. But this is the same Theresa May led Tory government that said there wasn't going to be an early election for like three months straight and then called one anyway, and it was a total fucking disaster but i think as time goes on things are becoming more transparent another thing nigel farage reported on from his meeting with michelle barnier was that in their minds the eu don't see it as a done deal they don't they don't they, they still see that there's a serious Flicker of hope serious but... serious possibility that britain's may remain which isn't going to happen and that that, that, and that that's where the friction is going to occur how do you know it's not going to happen well because technically we what is it this time next year we will have left march year 2019 oh, no, but just over a year <laughs> i can't put money on either side being organized enough to actually <laughs> cement anything by that date so just just by um sheer technicality we, we, we will have left to your point about like can britain just sort of cancel brexit and stop it a guy called lord kerr has been saying for the best part of two years now so even before the actual result of the referendum is known britain can cancel oh that i've heard of that lord kerr his first name's wayne isn't it something like that but uh, he's like he advertises himself as the author of the lisbon treaty but obviously he was a co-author not the sole author of it but there's nothing in the lisbon treaty specifically or particularly article 50 that says britain can actually do that that it can formally trigger article 50 and and then go, actually, hold on, we change our minds, we want to cancel that. It doesn't say that anywhere in the wording of the treaty itself. They just have to be honest and simple and say, you've already signed away your sovereignty. That, that's the question here. Have, you, have we already yeah. signed our, our sovereignty away or not? If so, let's call the whole thing off, we're, we're stuck. The other one someone mentioned was the, the, the House of Lords. If they're going to weigh in on it... They triggered Article 50. Well, they were forced they to. That their, their arms were forced to by, by the public, you know, and hopefully the same thing will happen this time. Well, these um, much-vaunted polls that are coming out in the last week, that have come out in the last week, showing that Britons actually favour a second referendum 
the majority of Britons, and that they also think uh, the Tories are fucking Brexit up. Everyone thinks that. That's that's obvious from someone watching from a desert island could see that. But do you think it's um, to go back to Lord Kerr saying that yeah, Britain can cancel Brexit? Wait, does that uh, make does that make sense to you? Yes, like on black and white on paper, it, it wasn't a legally binding thing. The referendum, but like I say, we've we've got common law versus civil law, and but, it, like well, the House of Parliament uh, passed the triggering of Article Fifty. It's not just the referendum result anymore. Yeah, I, I do honestly think it's a good metaphor. It's just like a rock rolling down a hill. It's 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 on the downward slope. It's gaining its momentum. You can't yeah. stop it now, really. To stop it would take a massive amount of effort and basically freezing out half the popula- half the voting population, you know. Because the reason I think Farage might be right, that like you say, uh, the House of Lords on largely Europhile Parliament yeah. and the upper echelons of the EU, like, Jean-Claude Juncker, Donald Tusk, they might actually kind of collude together and go, okay, look, the treaty doesn't actually say, it doesn't provide any sort of method for Britain cancelling Brexit, but let's just sort of turn a blind eye to that, and let's just say the argument is, the fact that it says nothing about whether or not you can do it means you can do it, which is a weird interpretation to me. Well, they could call it an emergency measure to to prevent global financial meltdown or something but it'll be bollocks in the end of the day everyone everyone will know the truth but that's why farage wants the second referendum right to have another a kind of shut the fuck up mandate yeah. for yeah. brexit yeah, it's, it's, it's like it's like a double lock isn't it we did it twice yeah because yeah both donald tusk is president of the european council if i remember correctly and jean-claude juncker is president of the european commission and they're the they're the two bodies that hold power in the eu the eu parliament's kind of toothless mm-hmm They've said this last week. Well, I think I've got the clip of Donald Tusk and how he phrased it. If the UK government sticks to its decision to leave, Brexit will become a reality with all its negative consequences unless there is a change of heart among our British friends. Wasn't it David Davis himself who said, if a democracy cannot change its mind, it ceases to be a democracy? We here on the continent haven't had a change of heart. Our hearts are still open. A not so coded message there, basically. That and like Jean Claude Juncker, yeah, he kind of reiterated the same thing Donald Tusk said there. So, like I say, it's not so uh, subtle message that yes, if the UK Parliament decides to cancel Brexit, the EU would be okay with that. Negative consequences that uh, come with the result. You know, that's what you said. Negative consequences. Negative consequences for them. Like they just want to. They just can't be. They can't admit it that they'd be fucked just as much as us. Maybe not as much. Who knows? House of Cards, Tom. I'm still weary of like leaving without any single market access and going to the WTO. I still think that's like disaster scenario. But no one's run the figures yet. Us going to WTO would be would cause problems for the EU as well. They'd have tariffs when they trade with Britain, but like it, it weren't there before. Yeah, but yeah, it would balance out. That's the thing. I always went into this with the mind of like, why does everyone just want to boil it down to economics? For me, it's not about economics. For me, it's about sovereignty. For me, it's about democracy. Quality of life, okay. You don't, you don't measure the, the quality of a society by the size of its economy. I'm sorry, yeah, you GDP, don't. Yeah. I'm sorry, you don't. You measure it by the quality of life and how happy the population are. And I think a lot of people had a feeling that if things kept going down this particular path, the, people, the society w- was just fragmented and not, not improving. And who cares if there's a bit of an economic hit? if it means people are happier in the long run yeah, and they see um, that their vote means something there's happiness surveys and yeah like it's been a steady decline for like 40 years but then in england after uh, june 23rd 2016 independence day there was an uptick in happiness in right. england wow brexit spike so it's not just hate crime 
But why do you think um, Tusk and Jean-Claude Juncker are seemingly kind of uh, happy and talking openly about the idea of Britain cancelling Brexit? Like, what's buoying their confidence? The fact that the EU has got its way every time in the past. Yeah, and we've conceded so far in most things, in the negotiations as well. Oh yeah, giving them a huge amount of money for basically nothing in return. Future commitments. Covering people's pensions, in other words. Yeah, pretty much. Building, like, dams places that need them yeah i think the confidence is being boosted by the fact that tories are pretty much fucking brexit up and i think that's what they hoped for was that the other the remaining eu 27 members even those like that are kind of mostly eurosceptic mm. they would look at britain and tory failure and go yeah actually do you know what let's stay right where we are you know we, we can't be seen as benefiting in the eyes of the eu but ultimately we will benefit Donald Tusk mentioned David Davis and him saying, yeah, if a country can't change its mind, it's not a democracy and what have you. David Davis had a pretty embarrassing moment about a little over a week ago when it, um, it came to light that the EU have been preparing for a no-deal scenario in terms of, like, they've made risk assessments. That's because they're sensible. They're logical, <laughs> sensible people when it comes down to, you know, the German efficiency thing. Yeah. People have a plan, uh, A, B, C, and D. You know, whereas where us, it was like, the best plan is no plan. We do it on the seat of our pants. <laughs> You know, they, they had David Davis in that um, cross-party examination thing. They were yeah. like, so, you know, these, these impact reports. Oh, Hillary Ben, yeah. These impact reports. Oh, oh, yeah, they don't actually exist. We haven't really bothered doing them. Yeah, that was bad. You that know, was a couple of months ago. But that's that, that, that that's basically the sort of the, the difference in approach between, between us and Europe. Yeah, we're winging it. But that's just the national character, isn't it? No, we used to be good at, like, engineering it's and a, strategy. Yeah, but it's, it's about being flexible, having engineering that is flexible, strategy that is flexible. We, we, we'll do everything at the last minute. But it's saying to the EU, look, we don't really know what we want. Like, that's kind of too flexible. It's called maybe. poker face, Tom, isn't it? Like, Labour's... Poker face, you leave it to the last minute. <laughs> Labour's like, position on Brexit, well, poker yeah. face, totally. Well, Diane's permanent expression is a poker face, isn't it? Well, maybe I have pocket aces... Maybe I have seven deuce. Yeah. <laughs> but David Davis was, I don't know if he was genuinely shocked or if he was feigning it, but he was almost pretty, like, he was kind of almost outraged that the EU had been doing these risk assessments and preparing for a no-deal scenario where Britain goes to the WTO and, like, what to do about it. Mm. How could he be so shocked? Well, he just doesn't pay attention. He, he didn't <laughs> do any fucking impact statements. He's half asleep half the time. <laughs> What is he doing? Nothing. He's just a fucking... He's there, just another cog in the wheel to slow things down. He's part of the whole... Direct, really? Yeah, they're all fucking part of the conspiracy. They're all the Remainers, a lot of them. Even David Davis? Yes. And, like, Rhys Mogg? Then about Rhys Mogg, he's just not important enough. He's just happy. Yeah, true, he is kind of... Sin- he's happy just to spend his life on the back benches. I don't know. I don't know if I'm ready yet to be that conspiratorial. Oh, you should be. I don't know. It's, it's not entirely implausible. Con- just because something's a conspiracy doesn't mean it's not true. Yeah, I know, but... Like, I, I like waiting for the evidence to come out. Because to me, like, everything about David Davis says he wants to leave. He's just fucking it up. There's an LBC radio guy that I think we kind of like. Both kind of like Majid Nawaz. He was on, I can't remember what show it was. It was like some, uh, you know, the BBC do these early morning panel shows, like discussion, topical discussion shows. And they're usually pretty shit. He was on one of these and he made a point. He accepts that Britain voted to leave and that we should really leave because that's what British public voted for. But... He asks Brexiteers the question, and I think it's a good one. Are you content to have Brexit no matter what? 
even if it's an absolute fucking disaster, the economy Again, is destroyed. Look, even if it's an absolute disaster, if the economy is destroyed, what what else can you talk about other than the economy being slightly negative for a couple of years before it balances out? And the economy is fucking cyclical anyway. It has peaks and troughs. For fuck's sake, it, do they have okay, any more Ireland. argument what about than Ireland? the money in their pocket? What about Ireland? That's a fair point. What about Ireland? And the fact that it's probably going to speed up unification of North no like, no no it, it, the whole the whole issue with Ireland it, it it brings the whole issue of the E into focus so you had two countries Britain and Ireland that have historically had all these problems and troubles yeah, we and them. they eventually came to a solution between themselves where the violence is stopped and there's a soft border and both countries are happy with the current the, arrangement yeah yeah the EU is okay. credited with that though okay so now when we leave the only people who would want that to change. Is the it's the EU? So you've it's got a legal so, requirement. So, so you've got a third party interjecting between between an agreement between two sovereign a nations. Union, yeah. But out the EU's point though is yeah they don't want the troubles to start up again in Northern Ireland. You know what I mean? But the hard border's got to go somewhere, and I think it's no one's going to be happy with it. Like with the Northern Ireland border being the hard border, I think it's just going to be the UK mainland. We're going to concede on that one. Yeah, you know what I mean? they'll just have to make it like a special economic zone or something. So Northern Ireland will still technically be in a customs union. We won't. But like I say, at any cost, I think that's a cost I'm, I'm prepared to, to pay. Because to be honest, in my little metropolitan bubble, the day-to-day issue of Northern Ireland politics doesn't, doesn't affect me. Yeah, it doesn't come up, does it really? The poorest border is. I'd, I'd, to be honest with you, to be honest with you, in today's world, I'd rather there was a hard border between us and Ireland. Why? Because we don't want fucking terrorists coming over. Okay, it's a little mm. bit of absolutism, but yeah. it's been proven. I think people would feel more secure without this freedom of movement yeah. and a porous border. Fuck it. Let, you know, fuck it. Fuck it. They can't come in through Northern Ireland. <laughs> and another thing the, remain, uh, the Leave campaign can rely on is there's a, a sizable chunk of the Leave vote who literally didn't see any improvement in their lives being a member of the EU, so have absolutely nothing to lose by no just... No positives, yeah. But, so they have nothing to lose by changing the status quo, shaking things up and voting to yeah. leave. And they'll, they're the ones who, to answer Majid Nawaz, who who leave the EU no matter what. Because when he says however bad it gets, they'll be like, well, it can't be worse than it is now. There's always going to be that hardcore of leave voter who, who, you know, leave no matter what, who, you know, all these things that scare you, they'll actually want to embrace. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> True, though. I think there's good Brexit scenarios and bad Brexit scenarios. And I think that was like Majid Nawaj's point, is that Brexit can go wrong. And it's like, I don't, I want the best Brexit possible, or close to that. Let's just do it and then sort it out. Well, so what you said earlier, right, about maybe the politicians should just admit we're not really a sovereign nation anymore. Like, there's only really, there's currently one totally sovereign nation and a second one emerging, and that's America and China. They're sovereign in the sense no other country can really tell them what the fuck to do. Maybe we're not that anymore. Maybe Maastricht was like the last line in the sand and we crossed it. No, we should, we, you know, there's nothing done that should be, shouldn't be able to be undone, you know. It just comes to bloody administration and politics. It's just bits of paper and agreements. Yeah. And I think people sensed this diminishment of sovereignty, and that was one of the major impulses between, but behind the whole Brexit movement. It's one of the main impulses I had for, for wanting to leave. We had to wait 25 years. I think people were pissed off with Maastricht. That was in 92. Referendum, like a chance for the public to actually express their anger at that didn't come until 20 odd years later i've said i don't want to go to uh wti rules what i do want ideally i wanted to go join um the efta rather than the eea 
What's that? That sounds like some sort of fascist organization. <laughs> it's like the Swiss model-ish is what I kind of ideally wanted. Right? Okay. But I still wanted to, that would obviously still mean we would have uh, access to the single market. Now, I don't know about you, but I remember prior to the referendum vote, most of the Brexiteer voices, including David Davis, Daniel Hannan, Nigel Farage, uh, Douglas Carswell. Oh yeah, of course, we're not going to leave the EU without single market access. That would be insane. And then leave win the referendum. And it's like two weeks afterwards, suddenly I've noticed that all the people saying, yeah, of course, yeah, of course we're going to have single market access. And now saying, oh, of course we're not going to have single market access. We will, you know, David Cameron said it, Nick Clegg said it. And it's like, yeah, okay, I know those guys said that, yeah, leaving the EU would mean leaving the single market. But you said it wouldn't. And they just sort of switched, like Daniel Hannan in particular switched and just has to this day not acknowledged that his idea, like his mind on single market access completely did a 180. He hasn't acknowledged it. Are you not a little bit angry? To be honest with you, I'm not because it's still a possibility, Tom. Like I say, it's like What's I think a pos- single market access. Like it's it's all still to play uh, to for. Play for <laughs> like I said, and the longer we leave it, the maybe the, the, the you know the, the greater the pressure becomes on them just accepting anything. So maybe that's our tactic. The pressure on us or the EU? pressure on the EU. Some of them are cracking. France is kind of cracking. There's this German MEP who was like, oh, for God's sake, just end the madness and offer Britain a special treaty. They, it's almost like they don't want to admit how pivotal we are to the sort of day-to-day functioning of them. Yeah, that's yeah. been their stance from day one is we don't need Britain. They do, though. Because in a way, they need they, money. Like I said, maybe I, I did say before the sort of German efficiency thing of having an ABCD plan. Well, maybe that wasn't as true at the higher echelons of the EU. They were just so self-assured that they were unstoppable and uh, no country would ever leave once it joined. That they, they sort of built the structure in a way now so that if one of the, the main ones does pull out, the whole thing will topple. And, you know, in, in their arrogance, they've, they've let it grow into that. But they've got to admit that or at least do that without losing face. And I think maybe our side already know that. But again, to save the EU's face, they're not going to say that publicly. And so maybe, you know, we are, we're doing the right thing by just sort of dragging it out. And Yeah, time is running out and that's the, where the pressure is coming from. But that's all. Yeah, but, like, but like I say, how, how, going back to the original topic, how, how much time would a second referendum take up? Yeah, a lot they'd after to, two they'd, years. They'd have, to, yeah. they'd have to admit, you know, they'd have to announce a date for it. Then there'd have to be uh, a run-up, you know, yeah. a sort it'd of... It'd have to be at least 12 months. Campaign, Advance yeah. notice, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, so that would, what, 12 months? That would leave us if we held it in a week. <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? It wouldn't leave much, much, much space of time. So, you know, we're going to actually run out of time. Or they're going to have to yeah. scrap the, the, the leaving date to allow for a re- second referendum, which yeah. again is, is, again... I think the House ha- of Lords would back that, scrapping it, the I date. know, but we'd have to go back and see what Farage says about that. Because, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, again, that's no, different... no CBE, Nigel Farage. Uh, yeah, but again, that, 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 that's... Nick Clegg got his. But again, that, that, that's a whole other thing, Failed because that would just thrust us into even deeper limbo, wouldn't it? If, if, we, if we had a sort of leave date removed after setting one. Yeah, I think it's important we keep that. Yeah, so maybe we'll run Change out. the date, maybe, but maybe we'll keep w- a date. No, you can't really do that. Well, talking about two years not being long enough, right? That's something that uh, Wayne, Lord Wayne Kerr would not admit to. The Lisbon Treaty was written in such a way as to make leaving the EU highly unattractive. Yeah, you'd have to be insane. To trigger Article 50, really, right? But we didn't know that at the time. We didn't know what the fuck we were doing. David Davis, Theresa May, Liam Fox, they had no idea what they were doing. They triggered it anyway. And we're kind of fucked now. But that's what I think. That's a scenario. My ideal scenario now is that, yeah, we postpone Brexit in the sense of we go to the EU and say, listen, you and you and I know Article 50's bollocks. 
two years is not long enough to actually like figure out what leaving means in real terms and what the future relationship is. You can't work that out in two years. Ideally, Britain and the EU come to an agreement of, okay, Britain has to leave these following treaties, and there's probably hundreds of them, and like one by one over a really long, maybe 15 to 20 year process. Fuck. You know, like imagine like the giant squid. Britain's like this seafaring (laughs) mercantile entrepreneurial ship and the eu is a giant squid that has like tentacles around us yes and if each treaty is a tentacle (sighs) this giant squid has hundreds of them and it's going to take a really long time to one by one cut them off okay britain's leaving this treaty uh, we're leaving this institution, this body kind of thing, and then yeah, but this of course, is the future but of course you see, one by one. But the squid doesn't want that to happen, does it, you see? Cause it, it wants to suffocate us. For, for every limb you, you cut off it, it loses its life force and starts to die. <laughs> I think that's that's the reality of the, the story under the story here. We've given the EU lines of attack. Uh, we've given, more specifically, Remain, the Remain campaign, a line of attack that um, the Brexiteers lied to the British public. Because they said, oh yeah, we'll definitely leave while still having single market access. And then they completely changed their tune. Like to me, that's something that the Remain campaign would probably highlight and focus on. And it's something that would land. So there are really two questions here. Will there be a second EU membership referendum? And should there be a second EU membership referendum? I'm going to go out on a limb and say the answer to both is starting to become yes. Why? Okay, I can understand why you say there will be, because I agree with you that there yeah. will be, because a bit like Farage said, you be, being a realist, you don't put anything past these bastards. Like they, they, the political class They had like it. three or four referendums for the Lisbon, so that it wouldn't be surprising to get at least one more for this. Did it to Ireland, did it yeah. to Holland. Yeah. Um, but the second one, should we? I disagree, because I, I don't think we should. We shouldn't have to. But it's like bad poor, bad people force you to do bad things. You know, it's it's something you have to do holding your nose. It, I, I'm certainly not for it, but I'd, I'd take part in it again and I'd even be more active in trying to encourage other people to, to vote leave and reinforce the original vote. What do you say though when they go well look even if we win again they'll just do it again there'll just be a third referendum. That's when we have to put a big cork in the channel tunnel. That's, that's, that's when special measures have to be enacted when things start to get stupid. Threats of violence. Not violence just corks. Because I, I kind of agree with um, Nigel Farage's point there needs to be another mandate pretty much now because the Tories have fucked up the process of Brexit so badly. I think, yeah, it does have to be restated. We do want to leave, in spite of all the fuck-ups. The EU's behaviour has made me want to leave even more, and I think a lot of people feel the same. I, don't think, I can't really point to anything outrageous. Just not respecting other people's democratic decisions. Well, they kind of have. They haven't. That 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 that, that clip you played of Barnier talking. That, oh, no, yeah, sorry. But, um, but he mentioned Tus- Yeah, that he was, mentioned democracy. Yeah, but no, that was a that like that's what they do. They twist things. <laughs> they twist things, don't they? If hypothetically, say there is a second EU membership referendum, Remain win. And so Britain, like British Parliament, it's just like, okay, that's it. We've cancelled Brexit. Business is normal. Back to usual everywhere. We'll get back to work. Heads down. Would it be, though? What would happen to British democracy? I think you'd see a massive surge in the far right, unfortunately. Yeah, that's entirely possible. I think you'd see a massive uptick in hate crime. Would um, I think there'd be a massive disillusionment in general in democracy and a yeah. great depression would spread amongst the land. Like successive election turnouts, I think, would just massively drop. Probably getting to the point where it's like less than 50%, less than 45%, less than 40%. And it's like, would anybody, I don't think anybody would be able to say with a straight face that Britain is a functioning democracy. It's not. It's a plutocracy if Brexit doesn't happen, in my view. 
Yeah. And plutocracy, like, it's not the same thing as an oligarchy. Oligarchy is where a handful of rich people run shit. Plutocracy is where rich people govern for the benefit of rich people. Exactly. And what, what matters most in life is, like, you know, ultimately what, what we are judged on is what, what we've done and not what we've got. And, you know, having a That's huge... That's the old standard, though, ha- don't you think? Having a huge economy is, isn't worth living like a slave. And that, 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 that is my summation of it and i'm sorry to use such dramatic language for a lot of people yeah it's wage slavery exactly and if if you're on a if you're on a sort of zero hours contract working in some sort of swansea sports direct you wouldn't give a fuck about staying in the eu you'd want to leave you'd want to shake things up i think a lot of people did vote not because they're racist anti-immigration or anything like that but just because globalization globalization is not really working out for them yeah the system isn't helping them. It's not yeah. working for them. So, like, they go against the system by by voting against it. Is this political class that refers to them as left behind? It's like, come on, man. That's a really thinly veiled euphemism for the Poor. view of the... Yeah. It's like, that's how they view working class plight now is, oh, well, you just got left behind. What do you want us to do about it? Yeah, you, you miss that, you know, you were off sick that day at school where you got it's the kind of- lesson that would have made you a manager instead of a <laughs> admin assistant. It's kind of hardcore libertarian in a way. Yeah, it's people who like say they're progressives that kind of advocate for the well, fuck them. Yeah, but they you got see, left behind. Yeah, but you see, a, a different sort of system would allow other types of people and other types of endeavour to flourish more, rather than like the the ideal job for everyone being uh, a sub manager in a bank. You know, I'd rather have a society full of like artisans and creative <laughs> things, and you know, inventors. You know. Which is going in the opposite direction to this sort of subjugated population where, like, no one votes and everything is just grey and corporate because we've got to watch the the bottom line of our bank account. That's all that matters. I think the two of us view democracy as the the classical, the right to self-determination, whereas some people view it as, like, tyranny of the majority, wolf in sheep's clothing, that kind of cliche. I I see, basically, I see democracy... It's just a way of solving problems where, you know, you feed whatever you need to into it and it gives you a result and that result is king and you just stick with it. Yeah, that's, democracy... That, um, you, so you have a problem, give it to the king to solve. Give that's authoritarianism, democracy. like hardcore feudalistic. It's <laughs> binary democracy, isn't it? It's a yes or no answer. There, I think there really is... Uh, like when Nigel Farage refers to the establishment, like I think he's referring to more just politicians than anything else and like maybe like House of Lords and things like that. I don't think he's kind of referencing the Queen and Earls and Dukes and things like that. But I think there is a political class that has kind of emerged over the last 25 years. Well, there's, there's, there's definitely a, a legal class that became a political class in terms of like the new Labour. They are all, uh, all lawyers. attorneys and solicitors. Which, that yeah. makes sense if you think that's the role of Parliament is to just pass legislation. Like That's what they're supposed to do. But, it's but, like, I don't know if that's really what governing means. Governing should be solving problems. Yeah, I agree. I think it it would be disastrous if people um, started to accept the notion that yeah, like Britain's really not a sovereign country anymore. And if you, unless you're rich, making like seventy, eighty, three figure salary, do you know what I mean? Like your vote doesn't really count. Your opinion doesn't really count. But the thing is, but the thing is, if if you do make that sort of three figure, seventy, eighty k a year, it's not a case of your vote doesn't count. It's like your vote is already assumed. In a way, yeah. You know, you're always going to vote in that direction, which will ensure the continuation of of your circumstance, which may actually be detrimental to the people below you. Well, it is.
Speaking of dying Western democracies, we cross the pond once again to look at the state of American political discourse and, oh, oh, look, they're still stuck in their stasis of insisting there's something pathologically wrong with their president. Nothing new there. <laughs> Donald Trump, is he fit, and fitting quotation marks there, to be president? More on that in a sec. Thank you very much, everybody. I think it's going to go very well. I'll be very surprised if it doesn't. Better go well, otherwise the stock market will not be happy. So that was Donald Trump answering the question there of uh, how did he think an upcoming medical exam was going to go? And he joked, it's going to go well if it doesn't. Like, well, he said on camera, oh, it's going to go well. And then off camera, but still on a hot mic, he said, it better go well, otherwise the stock market isn't going to be happy. And he's right. He does have the power to influence the stock market. Yeah, but has has the media already jumped onto that and tried to twist it negatively and said, oh, that's actually a sign of weakness instead of a, a sign of confidence and strength to be able to joke about it? No, oh, naturally. <laughs> Fake news. It's just a way to introduce the topic of Donald Trump. Is he fit? Is he medically fit to be president of the United States? That's the latest line of attack. Like, oh yeah, it's clarified. I don't think it's wrong to not like Trump or anything or to wish he wasn't president or anything like that. But the line of attack against him, it was Russia collusion about three or four months ago. And then the line of attack became, oh, Donald Trump, he's not fit to be president. He's not made of the right stuff. And then, of course, that, that potentially damaging book came out about him, Fire and Fury. Oh, God, yeah. What was the claim, the big claim? Well, the claim that he was infantile and mentally deficient and not very clever. Infantile, I'll give him that. Not particularly clever, I'll give him that. Well, he certainly isn't an academic. He didn't go to, like... Well, he went to a good school. He didn't go to a top-tier university, though, and he didn't get, like, a a great degree or anything. He went to some Ivy League college. Yeah, but he wasn't doing, like, very hard stuff there, I'm sure. But successful businessman and obviously a a good brain at into personnel good at marketing good at marketing good at branding i would give him that but infantile yeah i agree he's infantile but yeah there was this um is he fit to be president and the sort of undercurrent of that was he has mental health issues so you would i've been reading over the last few months thinly veiled accusations about he suffers from dementia narcissism uh psychopathy He's a sociopath. The book also said that he repeats himself a lot. You know, he, he says the same story and blah, blah, blah. He says he's great a lot. But the, the intimation was it was like a sort of senility creeping in. Exactly, yeah. Because he is 71. But, but, they did do a medical test. And apparently this is a regular thing for the president. He has his own physician. I don't think there's a British equivalent. We were lucky enough to sit through the results of a top-to-toe medical of Donald Trump, including the results of a colonoscopy. Uh, I sat there with an open mouth. <laughs> learning about the state of his uh, anal polyps. It was great. So, yeah, the, the results of the uh, medical exam were basically, he passed, not with flying colours, but like I said, he's 71 years of age. But where did he actually do particularly well? Oh, the cognitive. The cognitive <laughs> test, which apparently wasn't actually, the doctor didn't actually deem unnecessary because the doctor was happy with his cognitive levels. But apparently uh, Trump wanted the doctor to do a test and trump passed his test 30 out of 30 so yeah, uh, so, so, so really you can't you can't question his cognitive ability on that basis which is what the never trumpers were getting at 
with this whole like they pin their hopes in this medical exam thinking something would crop up that's wrong with his brain yeah but you, you listen to the, uh, the the press conference the doctor gave the, even after telling them those results uh, the the press were insistent on pursuing that line yeah they didn't take it well you know at msnbc and whatever they're kind of tearing the hair out because they really did think okay we've got him this time it's gonna come up that like He's a narcissistic sociopath and what have you. And it's like, no, give it up. The Russia collusion thing didn't work out. This isn't working out. Well, the press did pick up on one failing, if you will. Trump has high LDL cholesterol levels. And the press, like I sort of read an article that was like maybe 10 paragraphs long and independent about like, oh my God, this means he's not, he can't be president. He's going to have a heart attack or a stroke. His levels aren't dangerously high. And well, plus LDL can actually be lowered. Pretty easily. I mean, I was dating someone years ago, like 12 years ago. He's a lot younger than Donald Trump. And she was told, yeah, your LDL cholesterol is so high, you're, you're amazing, you're, you're at severe risk of a heart attack or a stroke. She's still alive today. And really, all that's involved is just, it's a slight change up in your diet, where you just eat more oily fish, more berries, and less hamburgers and fries. So it's like, it's really not a big deal. What does Trump need to do to get his cholesterol down to him? Well, aside from a slight change in diet, um, I think he was already taking medication for, for cholesterol, and they 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 said they, they they said they were going to increase the the dose of that. Mm. So um, yeah, his cholesterol will go down, and it's it's not a big deal. Some people actually naturally have high cholesterol levels. Still like, live. This person you're dating, I bet that was she was dating. I bet I bet she wasn't a, a whale. No, she was thin. She was thin, you see. Yeah, so yeah. like say, you, you, you can be thin and have high cholesterol. It's, some people just naturally are quite oily <laughs> and fatty, you know, it's just part of their makeup. Um, you know, the the, uh, the doctor tried to try to joke a little bit at the end of the press conference by saying, you know, he could live to be 200 or, you know. <laughs> a hyperbolic statement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, of course, that, that sort of made the press tear themselves apart again. So it was, Oh, can we trust this doctor? It's another hurdle that has been laid in front of him that he's, seemingly sailed over you know skipped over um what next yeah pretty much yeah. Yeah. if you're pro-trump it's like is he being come on bring it yeah including with the aliens maybe they're <laughs> controlling him you know not not the russians you know that'll be the next one he's working with kim jong-un to destabilize <laughs> the world for the martians <laughs> yeah. yeah to smooth the way for their invasion, their invasion yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, I want to use this podcast as like a vehicle for cutting through the bullshit, all right? Because like, like, it's called Ill-Informed Insight, and that's basically to reflect the fact we're not journalists. We don't really have the resources to do like investigations or what have you, but even we can tell when the professionals are chatting bollocks. And that's what I want to use this podcast as a vehicle for. So like, what is this really about, Tim, this story about is Trump medically fit? Oh, come on, Tom. It's it's the story that's been going since the day it looked like he was going to be the main candidate. The powers that be do not want him to be president. Okay? He's become president. They they still don't want him to be president. There's a, there's, there's a whole mechanism, there's a whole apparatus that is, is doing everything in its power. They're still talking about... Um, Impeachment, impeachment, impeachment proceedings. It's going to be a it's going to be a constant thing. He's he's going to have to go up against during his presidency, and to be honest, it, it will probably sort of shackle him slightly. Yeah, definitely, and slow his momentum a bit. And that's but, the the idea of it to delegitimize his presidency. And this is like an age old political weapon that I'm pretty sure dates back to like ancient Greek times, where um, you would poison your political opponent and destroy their character with accusations of they're not quite right in the head. Yes. The, You'd pathologize them in some way. For, 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 it reminds you of ancient 
ancient Greece. But for me, it, it reminds me of more like recently, like the sort of uh, communist communist uh, parties and the way that they'll talk about their opponents. Oh, and, they always and, do. Yeah. Accuse them of wrong thinking. Yeah. They yeah. didn't, to be fair though, the communists didn't invent, they use it a lot. They didn't invent the tactic, but if you look historically, what kind of person usually employs this tactic though? It does tend to be someone who's not a big fan of democracy in the first place, especially in the context of we just lost an election and we're really not happy about it. That's what I, I think this story is really about is trying to delegitimize Trump, especially further delegitimization, yeah, especially losing against a, a populist candidate as well. Who no one thought was going to win. Who represents the so-called underclass, the underdog. Well, that's the thing about America is they kind of convinced themselves, they differentiated themselves from Britain. I don't blame them for doing that. By insisting that everyone in America is middle class. At worst, maybe there's a lower middle class. But America doesn't really acknowledge there's a working class America. And that's why Trump, part of Trump's success, he spoke to working class Americans who the political American political class had ignored for 25 years. He ran on a platform of saying politicians don't do what they say they're going to do. I'm different. And he connected. Does that what I mean? Like Hillary didn't connect at all. She represented rich people and their interests. Yeah, and a sort of assumed dissension and uh, sort of entitlement. Now, Trump doesn't really help his cause here in terms of like he is quite eccentric and eccentric people are quite easily accused of being a little bit off the rocker. And he is, like we said before, he is kind of infantile. He speaks like his speech pattern is quite infantile at the very least. Yeah, it's great. And he's great, and he's 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 but he's he's never very serious or too formal in these sort of. You see him in meetings and stuff. Yeah. He seems rather informal. But of course, you know, for the last twenty years since since the eighties and nineties, everyone's been telling us to fucking get in touch with our inner child and <laughs> not lose that childlike sense of wonder and interest in the world and open mindedness and you know innovation. So there, there's a lot of positives from uh, keeping young at heart no matter your age. That was a big deal in America, the inner child thing. Exactly. Yeah. Maybe that's Trump, Trump deliberately, you know. You probably did watch those tapes quite it's a like, few times in the 80s. Me, myself, I, I sort of um, actively try and do immature things. It makes me, keeps me young. Jumping in puddles. Yeah, it keeps me young. Putting sandwiches in the VCR. Yeah. That's an 80s reference. I got, I got, admittedly, I got thrown out of the, the you know, the, the ball pit at the local playground the other day. But it's also um, the fact that the, the, let's say, the pro-Democrat side of broadcast, print media, what have you, they, they're assassinating Trump's character, or at least attempting to. And I think they're doing this in lieu of the fact they are not prepared to admit that Donald Trump's policy platform is actually a lot more popular than they're letting on. They really don't want to admit there's a number of Americans out there that actually like Donald Trump's economic policies, his his immigration policies. They had one chance for the first time in a generation to actually like protest or say, let's try something different because the current system wasn't working for them. It isn't working for them. They're not, they're not going anywhere. They feel like they're just circling a plug hole. Yeah, Trump connected on that. And I think the Democrats are in this denial about it. Well, that's why I think if Trump runs for a second term, he stands a very good chance of winning because so far the Democrats, their whole sort of political thrust has just been formed around impeachment yeah. <laughs> rather than actually coming up with any good, decent policies or ways forward. A suitable candidate exactly. for 2020. Exactly. That's what they should be yeah. doing. They should be thinking about what they did wrong, not about what Trump's doing wrong. They should they've got to be thinking about what, what they did wrong and why they lost and why they're still losing. Like I said earlier, he's basically doing what politicians 
have said they were going to do for 25 years and failed to do it. Like, do we have to, do we have to dig up the Bill Clinton clip talking about him where he was flirting with the idea of a border wall and severe restrictions on immigration? Oh, the, the, the best clip that I've seen recently that, that shows the hypocrisy was the one that was uh, about the making Jerusalem the capital of Israel, where they had a clip of Barack Obama, they had yeah. a clip of George Bush, they had a clip of Bill Clinton, each of them saying that they recognised Jerusalem as the capital. Yeah. And uh, they will move towards making it the capital. And they can put their embassy wherever they want. Yeah, but of course, they each one of those presidents uh, did a six-month veto on that every month to yeah. sort of delay it. But it, it goes to show, he said he'd do it, and he did it. And the world loses its mind. Yeah, and they, I don't think the Democrats are willing to accept that he's scoring points there. But, like, I mean, they tried to say, um, oh yeah, Barack Obama, he talked tough about North Korea, but then he didn't do anything. It's like, yeah, okay, Barack Obama kicked the can down the road, and then Mr. President nobody saw coming picked it up. It's like, that's why you don't kick the can down the road forever. Sooner or later, somebody's got to deal with it. North Korea was a ticking time bomb. Yeah, and and the sad thing is, you can be super responsible, but for a limited amount of time. (laughs) If Obama knew that after eight years, nothing much would change in Korea because of the current state of their missile tech, he was quite happy just to do nothing. Now that they could suddenly build nukes, someone has to do something. But everyone, everyone knew that was coming. Yeah. Who would you say is the most popular Democrat candidate for 2020? Oprah Winfrey. Exactly. I don't want to go off on too long a tangent about the Golden Globes. But basically, like, we live in the age of faux outrage where people pretend to be outraged, usually on someone else's behalf. How dare you say that? But... That doesn't mean there aren't some things in the world that are, like, genuinely sickening. The past recent Golden Globes was truly disgusting. Vomit-inducing. In light of uh, the fact that there's a basically pro... I was going to say pro-rape, but let's say, like, rape-friendly culture in Hollywood that Hollywood has curated for itself. The fact that they were still the same smug, self-satisfied, self-righteous, we're-better-than-you, sanctimonious cunts. Well, again, it's, it's again, it's a Darwinism thing. It's like power protects, and they they obviously feel so secure in their power that they can sort of put on this public facade of being me too, me too, and still go on supporting rapists and not actually supporting some of the me too people. Like, apparently, none of those girls were actually invited to the Golden Globes. Who the protest yeah, was the supporting? Harvey, <laughs> Harvey's victims were basically they were kind of they weren't like ostracized maybe isn't the right word but you would have thought someone would have gone maybe we should invite them make a big deal or at least give them a ticket but like it seemed like the hollywood starlets what they did was they put a female activist political activist on their arm yeah with meryl streep who's still like the cheerleader for a Roman pedophile Polanski. Polanski, yeah but they would walk down the red carpet with them all on prominent display but then as soon as they were off the red carpet it was like uh, who gives a fuck about these female activists? Do you know what I mean? Like, no one yeah. cared. And it was like a week and a half later until someone yeah. in the Hollywood press thought, maybe we should actually talk to those women that went, what cause were they you know, there for or whatever? It took a week and a half because all of the attention from the Golden Globes was put on Oprah Winfrey because she made this speech. Now, it wasn't a terrible speech. It wasn't a bad speech. But it sure shit wasn't a great speech. For many, it was a hypocritical speech. Like, within 20 minutes of her making it, I was seeing pictures of her, like, kissing Harvey Weinstein. Weinstein. Pimping out girls for him. (laughs) Yeah. But it was also vacuous. Like, there wasn't much substance to it. There were times where she would start a sentence off, lose her train of thought, and end up speaking about, like, the end of the sentence would have nothing to do with the beginning. Oh, right, you see, I I only saw the edited version on the news. Oh, okay, I watched. Which looked like a sort of... It was rabble-rousing. She's good at that. You know, like it's Oprah great connecting was, with people because you know she she came from from very low 
low standing, but now she's worth about 30 billion or something. Yeah, America's richest woman, I'm pretty sure. But she was being touted in the largely pro-Democrat broadcast print press. She's got to be in the running for Democrat candidate 2020. How do you beat a reality star TV show celebrity? Well, you get the biggest TV show celebrity of all time to run against him. Now, for how long have we been hearing that it was idiotic to elect a TV star as president? A year and four months, something like that? Yep. And then Oprah does a speech. Let's have her now. <laughs> Oprah 2020, hashtag. Apparently she doesn't want want to do it, though. Yeah, thank God. They kind of almost pressured her in a way. But yeah, I don't think she wants the, um, the ridiculous level of scrutiny that like running for president invokes. Looking through your whole background, any off-the-cuff remark that you made that's even remotely questionable is going to be brought up. Well, just some of the people she's had on her show that she's... Uh... And what they've advocated. Yeah, yeah. I don't like I don't like that line of attack. Oh, you had this person on their show and they said this. Yeah, so what? As long as they didn't nod their head with a like big grin on their face, like, oh yeah, yeah, you're definitely right what you're saying. But surely a big part of the oh my god, President Donald Trump story is his general level his administration's general level of incompetence, inability to get things passed through government, even though he's a Republican president, Republicans control both houses, they're still struggling to get anything done. Lack of vetting in his uh, appointments. Oh, some terrible appointments have been made and a lot of them have failed after a week or even a day. Yeah, embarrassingly. Why would people think Oprah would be any better? Yeah, exactly. How could she be worse is is, is the answer. (laughs) (laughs) I suppose, yeah, that's the argument in favour of it. But maybe that's, um, that's a question we might have to explore in another episode. Well, two questions. One, is Donald Trump evidence that actually we should probably be in favor of the quote-unquote professional politician? Like, is something, at least one thing in their favor is that there's a more respectful decorum, I don't know. Politically correct is what you're trying to say. And I think we must move away from that because political correctness really ends up just covering the truth for the, it's like a sort of bandage that, that coves the wound that is the, the real thing. I think the it's, truth. it stifles conversation completely, for sure. Yeah. Completely. I think having politicians like Trump and indeed like Oprah would only be a good thing because they're actually real people who are a lot more flawed. Are they though? Yeah, I'd say so. They're like mostly they're a TV lot more f- creations and TV is a world know. of fakery. But they're not politicians though. Anything but a politician. <laughs> <laughs> the anti-politician crowd. No, someone Still with, strong. Someone with, with, someone with foibles and human frailties. I think the Democrats and never Trumpers... Oh, that's the second thing. The second question, almost forgot. Is, quote-unquote, Trump derangement syndrome, is that a real phenomenon? If you ask me four months ago, I'd say no. It's just a snide kind of response. But starting recently to think there is something weird going on. Look at, like, North Korea and the way people try and blame that on Donald Trump. I don't know how any reasonable person can blame it on anybody other than the Kim dynasty. Yeah, it it starts to get stupid where, like, you know, know, the toaster burnt my toast this morning. Fucking Trump. You know what I mean? And it it is a sign of derangement where you're so focused on something, it becomes an obsession. A lot of the the sort of media and news reporters, in a way, they sort of remind me of a sort of crazy stalker. Pictures of Trump on the wall yeah it's like in them and yeah but they'll sort of bash one out at the same time you know it's like a sort of weird love hate thing it's like they're so they hate this person so much they they can't stop thinking about them do you think that's part and parcel but maybe they've of, got um, an agenda you see but do you think it's part and parcel of celebrity presidents in general like it wouldn't just be trump like if you had president oprah winfrey you'd have the same thing it's like the celebrity worship aspect that's kind of skewing everything. Well, it's the, it's in the age of the soundbite and the tweet, you know, Trump is perfect, isn't he? Because he says so many things rapid fire, 
but he, he's got really short sentences. So it's like perfect to get a quote, a headline quote. Yeah, and he says controversial things. Oh, yeah. Rude things. Shitholes. Shit oh, my. That was a weird thing I picked up on. The media was really happy. Like, they relished in being able to say shithole on there. It's like, it's like when you're in primary school and the teacher says a bad word by mistake. And the no. whole class, like, they all yeah. light up and go, oh, 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 you, you just got a permission bum, slip. Bum, bum, oh, 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 I said bum. Bumhole. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> bum, oh, you know. It was like that. They but then as soon as saying the, it. But as soon as the person they're interviewing said it, oh, I think we have to end the interview here. You know. But about that, I think Trump's right. Some, if he did say it, allegedly, some countries are shitholes. But that's not a good reason for, let's have a blanket ban. Because a lot of the times the people that come from those shithole countries are the people that are like, yeah, it is a shithole country. I don't want to live here anymore. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it, it, it's a vortex of a moral dilemma for these PC people. It's like, <laughs> we must let all these people into our country illegally because, because their country's a shithole. But, <laughs> but you can't say. But we're not allowed to say their country's a shithole. And because it's not a shithole, really, we shouldn't be allowing these people in. The failure, <laughs> Do you know, it's like, the failure of the cultural relativism. Like, do you know what I mean? It's like, it just doesn't work logically. I always think of the ancient symbol of the Ouroboros, which was like a, a, a snake. The dragon, oh, the snake eating itself, its own tail. Yeah, yeah. Forever. Yeah, but instead, I, I think this is like a sort of liberal professor, like, who's given himself a back injury, <laughs> sucking himself off. <laughs> and, he's, and he's just like stuck there, like gagging on his own cock. The football, an Owenist, an Owenistic circle of doom. Refugees, welcome. All <laughs> 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 <Or> be <we're> back. Because <laughs> I mean, I said earlier, right? You shouldn't really um, diagnose people's mental health problems through TV screens and what have you. Do you know what I mean? And it's like a cheap tactic to use. It's a political weapon. I don't, um, that's why I don't want to really go, oh yeah, these people, they're suffering from Trump derangement syndrome, you know what I mean? But we'll explore that at a future date, because there's definitely something weird going on. I think, I think, just touching on it briefly, Trump does freak a lot of people out. Oh yeah. Because he's unpredictable. And... He's a madman. And a lot of people's fear, the root of it lies in the, the unknown. And so an un having an unpredictable leader and not being able to sort of have a feel of what he'll say or do the next day and which way the world's going to do the next day. It, for, for someone who's, whose job it is to predict such things and comment on them to the public, it would send you a bit crazy, wouldn't it? Just it would be massively stressful. If but your job lot, was to predict the future, yeah, in essence. Yeah, like all these yeah. politicians, when, when Obama was around, they could get a good night's sleep. Yeah, safe hands. All these, all these journalists. I mean, they, 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 not really. They, they, all these journalists could get a good night's sleep when Obama was around. But now they have to be up at two a.m. just in case Trump fucking tweets something. Yeah, but I'd say for the most part they were asleep during Obama's presidency. Like when they came out and said he was scandal free, I was like, what the fuck? Like his first week in office, there was that Fast and Furious scandal. What do you mean scandal free? I mean, yeah, okay, okay. I don't think Barack was a terrible president or anything like that. But to say he was scandal free was just insane. Like complete detachment from reality. Alright folks, thanks for listening to us Babylon here at the Ill-Informed Insight Podcast. Babylon! <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of popularity contests, do us a favour and give us a like on SoundCloud and Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at ill underscore insight. And if you're listening to us on iTunes, why not give us a five-star review, please, if you will. And then you will never miss out. You'll always be up to date on the most recent episode. Have you liked our Facebook page, Tim, or given us a review on iTunes? I think I've subscribed 
to us on iTunes. Wait, <laughs> I've, I've held fire on the whole reviewing and liking thing. <laughs> conflict of interest dude. well I, I have to be a neutral observer you have principles after all i'm a neutral observer in all things i'm, I'm a libra it's it's the way i am you know i just like to try and take a step back see things how they are if brexit doesn't go through we're gonna burn that if up. libra doesn't go <laughs> if, if brexit doesn't go through my my scales will tip thanks for listening and uh, we're back to our <coughs> usual schedule of dropping an episode every monday morning 